My name is Gab Poole. I'm the pastor of, I can no longer say Cherrybrook Angan Church. <laughs> I, uh, I was the pastor here up until 20 months ago and have now moved. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. One of my brilliant moves was to employ Dan and get Dan here. In the first five minutes, I begged him to come. I knew he's the right guy for the role. And uh, it's been wonderful to see Dan carry on and keep the mantle uh, glowing. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. I should say, happy birthday, Jess. I was told that today would be the 25th anniversary of CAC, but I now realise it's actually Jess's birthday that we're celebrating. Where are you, Jess? You're somewhere there, we're there in the crowd, so happy birthday to you. That's obviously why we're here, Jess. But it's no wonder that Mark Payne keeps on saying that we have to celebrate anniversaries because he remembers how old CAC is. I think his daughter reminds him of it all the time. Let's open in prayer and we'll look at uh, God's word together. Of course, it's God word, God's word that has always nourished and always uh, helped us to grow. Let's uh, pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your word and the way that that has played such a significant role in the life of Cherrybrook Anglican Church. We thank you, Lord, that this church has always been focused on your word and that through that we've seen your glory. And we pray that once again, you would help us to see your glory and help us to uh, indeed count the, uh, the blessings that you have given us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So it's not just his birthday, it's his uh, 25 years anniversary and um, it's great to be here this morning and it's wonderful to see faces, faces from the past uh, which bring back memories. I must say that there was a bit of a lump in my throat as I was singing those songs with you earlier uh, as my mind drifted back to the years and uh, those who are part of the past that are still here, the founding members, I think that makes you sound important. Uh, Giselle, not old. It uh, sounds like you signed some sort of constitution or something like that, the founding members. But uh, they're here, of course. And uh, I think uh, one of the most encouraging things is to see faces that I'm not familiar with, people who have joined in the past, obviously, 20 months. And uh, that reminds me that this is a dynamic church. People come, people go, we form memories. Uh, but uh, Cherrybrook Anglican Church continues with new faces and uh, God's kingdom continues with or without us. So it's been a real uh, warm and encouraging time here. Uh, I have many, many fond memories with you. I, want, I need to point out John. Hi John. It's great to see John here. He can't see me. He's waving his arm but he can hear me and uh, we had wonderful times together, John, didn't we? I see my old Bible study group, Wednesday night Bible study. That was always a, yeah, wave around. It was always a treat. And also, of course we had, uh, CAC loves a party. That's why you're all here, isn't it? You love a party and we're here to celebrate. Uh, that's something that we've always done well. I've always enjoyed the things we've done together. Food drive was always a treat for me each year collecting food for the needy. It's interesting that here in Cherrybrook we collect the food, we give it out in Malabar. Uh, every second Monday we have a mobile pantry where we give that food out. So it's interesting to be on that side of the equation now. But of course the treat of the day was always at the end where we'd 
see how much we had and uh, we'd um, count up the number of items, look at the most expired item that was there or the most, most unusual. I think the most unusual was canned quail, de quail eggs. Uh, that was one of the most unusual things I remember. But it was always a treat also to knock on doors of people around here at Cherry Brook Anglican Church because this church remembers that we're not here for what we do on Sunday. We're here for the community around us. Uh, also, we had great mission trips. I always remember Baraba and the great uh, uh, relationships that we, uh, we formed there. For me, the men's dinners were always a treat, always steak, always at a local pub where we'd invite the locals, we'd hear the gospel message, but then Richo, the local caravan park owner-operator, would insist on taking the microphone and telling a few jokes. They were all, always a bit close to the line, but you couldn't help laugh. You know, you'd try and hold back your laughter. I'm not sure if it's appropriate for me to laugh, but uh, they were always good times. We put our, our lives at risk when we went to Catherine, Catherine Christian Convention, and that was always a wonderful time. I have fond memories, and in fact, video footage of Alan Honey slaying a snake with a piece of rubber tubing. Uh, and it was a different side of Alan Honey that I hadn't seen before. <laughs> we should have that. Did we get that footage this morning? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, I did send Mark Harding that footage, but that was very impressive. Of course, um, being part of a community, and I'm glad to say I was here for the majority of the 25 years, it forms wonderful rich and warm memories, doesn't it? And uh, it's great just to think about those things once again. And the 25 years, not in vain, but the Lord has been glorified here and people have heard the gospel and they've grown in Christ. How do you put a value on that? Of course, there was a time when the diocese tried to put a value on that. It was called the New Capital Project. And the diocese had commissioned a first-tier uh, accountancy firm to go around and add up the assets of each church and then divide that by the average Sunday attendance to come up with the assets divided by the number of people that attended. And of course, uh, many churches had hundreds of thousands of dollars of assets per person that attended. Cherry Brook came down the bottom of the list because I assumed that the balance sheet didn't look too good. Didn't have property back then. You still don't. <laughs> I think uh, on the balance sheet were some crayons from Sunday school and a second-hand sound system. And of course that was then. Nothing was divided by the number of attenders and, uh, and the assets per attender came in very low. I thought that was nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, that showed that church didn't need the usual trappings and that we could meet this way, thanks to the generosity of the council and uh, the hospitality in local homes, uh, it could be done. Uh, so the value of the church, according to the new capital project, was quite low. How do you value a church? Well, the reading from 2 Corinthians, I think, challenges our sense of value. In 2 Corinthians, the things of the world are seen, they're outward, they're light, they're temporary. They're outweighed by the things that are unseen, the inward, the eternal and the glorious. 
The Apostle Paul calls his readers to value the ministry by heavenly parameters, not by earthly ones. Firstly, to remind you the background of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we believe actually that it's his fourth letter, not his second letter. We just don't have two of them. But it's his fourth letter, and he writes as a defence for his ministry among them and to win back their loyalty. Opponents had come in and were dragging the Corinthians away from loyalty to Paul and dangerously toward a false gospel. Paul, they argued, was weak and powerless and overwhelmed by troubles of life. They said, and he repeats their words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive. The Apostle uh, Paul did not compare to the other more impressive authority figures. One non-biblical historic account described Paul as a man smaller stature with a bored head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked. Not a glowing assessment. We don't have a picture of the Apostle Paul, but we do have that description. Well, Paul complains in chapter 10, verse 7, that the Corinthian, about the Corinthians, he says, you judge by appearances. As long as they were judging by appearances, they would be misled and deceived. Paul does not deny the accusations of weakness, but he writes to change the Corinthians' focus and what they value. He writes in chapter 4, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. That's what we do. In any gatherings like this, there are things that you can see and there are things that are unseen. And the value is not in what we see, but in what is not seen. Chapter 2, verse 7. And I think this is the key passage. Chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. As a messenger, Paul claimed to be nothing more than a clay jar. The treasure, the truly valuable thing, was his message. The messenger is not the treasure. If you want to attack Paul for his weakness, then go ahead. He says that he's nothing more than a clay jar. Clay jars were used in the kitchen to store food and drink. They're sort of like the Tupperware containers of the day, but a bit more brittle, drop them on the floor and watch them, watch them smash. They're not that strong. And Paul uses other metaphors to describe believers. In chapter 5, he says that we're just temporary tents, or we're naked, unclothed. We are therefore not the ones that people should be drawn to. Paul considers himself a mere clay jar, and he gives evidence. Evidence in chapter 2, verse 1, he didn't have control over his travel itinerary. He was unequal to the task of spreading God's word, as he says in chapter 3, verse 16. In chapter 3, verse 1, he does not commend himself. 
Chapter 3, verse 5, he admits to being incompetent. In chapter 4, verse 16, he says, I'm just wasting away. And then he goes on to say, I face death on a daily basis. The Apostle Paul was nothing but an unimpressive, weak, dying piece of brittle Tupperware. Paul is being absolutely transparent here. Don't you think? Absolutely transparent. A very unusual tactic to take when you're trying to uh, counter opposition. Don't try it when you go for a job interview. Don't just say, look, all I am is a clay jar, guys. It won't work. The impostors were comparing their impressiveness to Paul's weakness. They were trying to win the Corinthians with deception. However, they were no more and no less. They may have had more hair on their head, straight legs. However, they too were mere clay jars, unclothed and mortal. The question was, what did they contain? What did they contain? Because the treasure is the message. The Corinthians were mistakenly focusing on the messenger and not the message. The message that Paul brought was the gospel. The gospel is the thing of ultimate beauty, power and worth. And I love the way that the message is described in chapter 4 verse 6 as knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What a rich statement. Let me, I'll read it again. Knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Think about that. The gospel brings knowledge of God's glory. There is nothing more beautiful in this world than God's glory. The glory of God is evidence of his presence. Enjoy a beautiful sunset. Up here in the beautiful hills district, there you'll see evidence of a creator. You can't see him, but you can see his effects, his glory. However, there is an even more glorious encounter in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came from the Father. The letter of Hebrews goes on to say that he is the exact representation of God. The radiance of God's glory. Jesus came from the Father. And in Jesus we witness God-like characteristics, the way he loved the marginalised. He taught with authority, he healed, he cast out demons. He had power over the natural forces of the world. He was the embodiment of purity and holiness. We witness his selfless acts of giving himself as a sacrifice to save many. And he showed God's all-surpassing power by rising from the dead, conquering death itself. And you think, wouldn't it be wonderful to see the face of Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Well, the gospel of Jesus reveals God's glory to us. And when the Holy Spirit shines his light into our hearts, 
We see him in all his fullness, not in a physical way, but in a real way in our hearts. So the thing of ultimate value is not the messenger, but the message that brings knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And consider the effects of this treasure brings hope in adversity. Chapter 4, verse 8, when pressed, we're never crushed. When persecuted, we're never abandoned. When struck down, we're never destroyed. And verse 14, even when we die, we'll be raised to life. The treasure, the gospel, ensures that we are ultimately untouched by the troubles of this world. And through it, verse 16, we're being renewed day by day. I mean, you can try a whole lot of different things to be renewed day by day. You can try new diets. You can go to the gym on a daily basis. Maybe that would help. But you will eventually wear out and decay. Your body will not carry on. Yet in Christ, through knowledge of God's glory, we are actually being strengthened and constantly improved. So the gospel is our ultimate value and the thing that should be the object of our focus. And for this reason, we preach not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We are merely servants of the message, the containers. So if we're found to be weak and unimpressive, that that, then that only strengthens our case because, verse 7, it shows your surpassing powers from God and not ourselves. The advantage of the clay jar is that it won't distract from the real treasure. If the focus is on us, what we can achieve, overcome and conquer, then it will be easy to miss the true message. We want to lead people to Jesus, not to a believer. It doesn't serve the gospel to boast about yourself. Imagine a bridesmaid that tries to outshine a bride, or a caddy that tries to outplay the golfer, or the support act that tries to outplay the main act. Won't do. Imagine a clay jar that tries to outdazzle the contents. When my wife Bron chooses a bottle of wine, she looks for the best looking bottle and label. And I'll say something like, why did you get that one? And she'll say, because I like the way the bottle looks. <laughs> and I say, but a nice bottle doesn't mean a nice wine. We don't look at the wine, we taste the wine. The focus should be on the contents, not the container. If we are weak and unimpressive, then that only highlights the truth that the power is from God and not from us. Only he can rescue, only he can save, and only he can bring hope. Only he is to be worshipped. It's impossible, isn't it, for anything to outshine the glory of God. The letter of Hebrews teaches that faith is confidence in what we do not see and assurance of the hope that we have. 
And Paul reminds his readers in verse 18 that we're to fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. Things of this world can be touched but our eternal glory is yet to be held. We may be distracted by our troubles and our momentary uh, struggles but we're to focus on God's glory. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Notice, we're not just to ignore those struggles. In fact, they're providing a purpose. They're preparing us for God's glory, his eternal glory. Anything of value that we want to obtain in this world will not compare to what God has in store in eternal glory. Any pain, discomfort or trouble we want to avoid does not compare to the pain of missing out on God's glory. In comparison, our present troubles are light and temporary. Eternal glory surpasses them all. Paul uses the word here, hyperbole. Know that word, hyperbole? It means to overthrow. When I was teaching under 15, under, well, I think it was under 14 green cricket team, I used to teach them that when they returned the ball to the, the wicketkeeper, not to overthrow. Because the kids were always trying to show how strong they were. I said, just throw it gently back to the wicketkeeper and you'll get the guy out. But our eternal glory overthrows, overshadows, overcomes our light and our momentary troubles. To value the gospel is to focus on what is ultimately important, satisfying and fulfilling. I use as an example a TV show that I watch. It's called Porn Stars. And before you go dobbing me into the Archbishop, it's spelled P-A-W-N, Porn Stars. And it's about how people bring in their valuable things into a store like coins, family heirlooms, musical instruments, to see what they're worth and to see if they can sell them. The tricky part is working out the value of these things. I mean, they're such unusual things. There's nothing to compare them about to. There's no comparables. And you're constantly watching the show thinking, what's it worth? What's it worth? And I think my favourite part of the show is that when the seller comes in the store with something that they're very proud of and they realise it's worth nothing. It's wonderful. <laughs> I saw one episode where a lady brought in a guitar signed by every member of the Beatles. And I thought, that's got to be worth a packet. And so the, uh, the, sell the buyer wanted to know what it was worth, so he called in an expert. And within one minute, the expert could see it was a fake. How could he tell? Well, he said, all these signatures are signed with a felt pen. They didn't have felt pens back in those days. They just had biros. Bang! All the air just came out of her. She just went as white as a ghost. Like a balloon, just all the air coming out of the balloon. It's nothing. Worth nothing. What's it worth? Your house. What's it worth? Your car. Your superannuation. 
These things may impress, but if you overinflate them, when the true value is revealed, you'll be like a deflating balloon. So what do we have of value? Well, the treasure is the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. How do we get a sense of this value? Well, it's not a really different to porn stars. Firstly, you get an appraisal. It's impossible for the shopkeeper to identify the value. He often has to enlist the, ex the experts come in. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Not everyone thinks the gospel of Jesus is valuable, but then again, not everyone is an expert. Jesus came from God. He said, the Father and, uh, the Father and I are one. He returned to the Father. He's the expert, only he knows, and the gospel comes with his stamp of authentic authentication. Secondly, well, identify the fakes. There are plenty of things that people claim to offer more than they can deliver, but they're not authentic. They look good, they glitter, but in fact they're useless bits of tin. And God mocks the idols of this age, Isaiah 42, all who make idols are nothing and the things they treasure are worthless. The things of this world look good, but they're fakes. They're only temporary. Things of eternal value are the things of true worth. Thirdly, we look toward the future, not the present. Often the true value of something is not what it will currently sell for, but what it will sell for in the future. How many times have you heard a person say, I wish I had held on to that heirloom, that coin, that property. It would be worth a packet now. What do you have that will be of value in the future when Christ returns? Isaiah warns, the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Knowledge of God's glory in Christ will be seen for its true value when Christ returns. Fourthly, change the scale. Often sellers walk into the pawn shop thinking in tens or hundreds or thousands. And so if the buyer says it's worth 10, he could mean $10 or he could mean $10,000 depending on where you put the decimal point. When we think of value, the earthly scale is so different to the eternal one. We may gasp at the price of homes in Sydney at present, but eternal glory is not only a, of a higher value, it's on a different scale. And discipline, discipleship is about thinking on an eternal scale. Fifthly, we keep it. Sellers often walk into a shop not realising what the item's worth. And when they do realise what it's worth, it's off the market. All of a sudden they want to keep it because it's a mistake to trade it. It's a mistake to trade the things that are value, uh, the, thing, the gospel or your hope in Jesus for a career ambition or another person or sleeping on Sunday morning or a lifestyle. If you realise the value of the gospel, you will hold on to it, protect it, and not let anything compromise it. And sixthly, we admire it. 
It's great to see the buyer's eyes widen when he realises the value of what he's looking at when the expert comes in and tells him exactly what it is and he picks it up and he looks at it from all different angles. If we admire the gospel, the treasure within, it will be obvious to others. It will be all that we'll talk about and dream about and focus on. It will define us. So how do you put a value on a 25-year-old church? Well, I'm here to tell you that you're just clay jars. Just clay jars. And as a church, I doubt that your balance sheet looks much better now. Maybe you've got a few more textures for the Sunday school. Maybe you've got, um, I see you've got a new plan over there with lights in it. Maybe that helps to increase the, the value of your balance sheet. But your balance sheet is probably still unimpressive. And you're thinking, thanks a lot, Gav. You really know how to come and build a church up, don't you? No. This is our 25th anniversary. We're meant to be celebrating. You're telling us you were just clay jars. But, and you knew I had a but, the treasure is within. The treasure is the gospel, the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. And you know, I look around at these old banners. You can throw those out, by the way. They've been around for a long time. But, uh, you know, old banners we've got. But they, these were one of our first. We exist to glorify God by proclaiming our Saviour, Jesus Christ, in prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. And I think that remains the purpose and the mission of the church by proclaiming our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the value. That's the treasure that's within this church. That's how you value a church. So let the message of Jesus be the thing that you boast about. Let Jesus' light shine brightly from you. Let everyone see it's the gospel that excites and drives and defines you. Let the gospel be your treasure. So loving Father, we give you thanks for this church and the 25 years of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, we pray that you will continue to bless the church and continue to see it flourish so that it would proclaim that message loudly and clearly to all those around here in Cherrybrook and beyond. And that this church would value the gospel, the true treasure that is within. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.